Well, this morning uh, we're reaching the end of um, this letter of First Peter, and uh, it's almost exactly a year to, to the day when we started, I think. I think the first message was back on the 14th of August 2022, and it's now the 13th of August, I think, uh, 2023. So it's taken us a year uh, to get through this letter, uh, but I'd like to uh, close it off now by looking at these final few verses. And uh, as I've been preparing this message, uh, I kind of wished, wished that I had uh, done this message at the beginning. Uh, it seems strange to look at the last verses and wish you did them at the beginning, but uh, in these final few verses of this letter, uh, Peter provides us with important information about where he wrote the letter, uh, how he wrote the letter, and most importantly, why he wrote the letter. And all those things are important for us to understand the letter as a whole, uh, to understand its meaning and its importance. Um, so it might have been good to have shared that at the beginning, but I didn't realize that until we came to these final few verses. But perhaps uh, you can use uh, this message as an incentive to continue reading this letter. Don't just think, we've done that, we've done one Peter now, let's move on. No, First Peter has many things to say to us which are relevant throughout our lives. This letter, like all scripture, is important, and if we don't take heed to what it says, our life will suffer as a result. And so what I'd like to do, just by way of introduction, is just see what Peter has to say about where he wrote and how he wrote, and then we'll spend the bulk of our time this morning looking at why he wrote and how, where he wrote, and how he wrote is important in understanding why he wrote. So let's look, first of all, at where Peter wrote. And you can see this in verse 13. In verse 13, Peter says, She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. This is a very common uh, technique in uh, ancient letters. Uh, the person who was writing the letter would send a greeting from the place they were. And sometimes this would be at the beginning, sometimes it would be at the end. Here it is at the end. And Peter sends greeting to the people he's writing to from the place where he is. Uh, when he says she, who is in Babylon, he's referring to the church. Uh, the church that was at Babylon, and he's writing to another church elsewhere. And there is considerable debate about what Peter means by Babylon. Uh, we've all probably heard of Babylon, a famous ancient city in what is now modern-day Iran, I believe, or Iraq, Iran area. Um, but at this time, Babylon wasn't particularly significant. Uh, it was still there, it still existed, but it wasn't the great and mighty city that it had been in years and centuries gone by. And some people just take this at face value and say Peter's, for some reason, in Babylon, and he's writing from there. Uh, 
But that seems unlikely. As I say, Babylon wasn't particularly significant. There seems very little reason why Peter would go that way, would be there. Uh, Church tradition teaches us that Peter, in all likelihood, died in Rome, which is in completely the other direction. Uh, It seems unlikely that Peter would travel to a relatively insignificant place like Babylon, as it was at this time. Uh, It's more likely that by Babylon, Peter means Rome. Uh, In the Old Testament, Babylon was the most uh, significant uh, anti-God city there was. It was the greatest city, the richest city, the most prosperous city. Uh, It was the height and pinnacle of human achievement and wealth and power. And it was the center of opposition against God. In Peter's time, Babylon wasn't that. But Rome was. Rome was the center and pinnacle of earthly power. And Peter, a um, first century Jew, would have known the Old Testament stories about Babylon, the way Babylon is spoken of in the Old Testament. And more than likely, he's referring to Rome, where he's writing from, symbolically as Babylon. He's saying, as Babylon was like then, Rome is like now. And support for that is found in the book of Revelation, where that's exactly how Rome is referred to. Rome is spoken of as Babylon. So it seems that Peter is in Rome. He's with the church at Rome towards the end of his life. And he is writing to another church, perhaps a group of churches, uh, from where he is in the, at the centre and pinnacle of earthly power, Rome. But he also tells us how he wrote. That's where he wrote from. But he also tells us how he wrote. Look at verse 12. He says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly. Peter says he's written this letter by or through Silvanus or Silas. Uh, Silas was a character in the book of Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you will discover him. He was a believer in the church at Jerusalem, and he joined Paul on many of his missionary journeys. And it would appear he is with Peter now in Rome. And Peter says, I've written this letter by Silvanus, by Silas. And again, there's some debate about what this means exactly. Some people say this means that Peter sent his letter with Silas. So he wrote the letter, gave it to Silas, and Silas was the messenger who took the letter to the church he was writing to. Uh, Others say, no, Peter's saying Silas wrote the letter. Uh, Peter dictated it or told Silas what he wanted to say in the letter, and Silas wrote it down. And it could be either, uh, but for reasons I'll explain in a little bit, uh, I believe Peter is saying that he wrote this letter through Silas. As in, Silas was the scribe, though Peter was the author. And that becomes significant in just a little bit. So that's the basic facts that Peter shares with us. 
Uh, He says that he's writing from Rome, and he says he's writing through this man called Silas. And you might think, well, that's very interesting, but how does that affect my life? (laughs) It's a useful bit of information to have, perhaps, but why should that influence me? Why should that affect me? Well, it does have significance as we examine why Peter wrote this letter. And we can see why he wrote this letter at the end of verse 12. Uh, Look at verse 12 again. Peter says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Peter, in that short half verse, explains why he's writing this letter. He says this letter is a word of testimony, personal testimony from Peter, and secondly, it's an exhortation. It's a word of encouragement to believers. That's why he's writing this letter, because he wants to testify of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, And secondly, he wants to exhort, he wants to encourage believers to keep following Christ, to not forsake him. That's why he's writing this letter. So let's look at those uh, one at a time now, uh, those two aspects. Uh, First of all, let's see uh, what it means for Peter to be writing this as a letter of testimony. I wonder, do you ever doubt if the Bible's true? Uh, Do you ever uh, sit late at night, perhaps, and you wonder, is it really all true? Did Jesus really die on the cross? Did he really come to earth? Is it just fables made up? Uh, Perhaps in the uh, midnight hours, you have these thoughts going through your mind, and you wonder, can I really stake my life on this book. What if I'm deceived? Uh, We believe Muslims are deceived. We believe Sikhs are deceived. We believe atheists are deceived. What if we're deceived? Perhaps you have these thoughts sometimes. Well, Peter is writing this letter to say to us, You can trust me. You can trust me as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The things that I have seen, the things that I have heard are true. You can trust us. That's what he means when he's saying he is testifying. He's saying my word is true. This is the truth. And this is, funnily enough why it's significant how Peter says he wrote the letter. Uh, Remember what we said. Uh, Peter, in verse 12, says he wrote this letter by Silvanus, by this man called Silas. But many scholars say, and if you have the time and inclination to read them, uh, many scholars say, well, Peter couldn't have written this letter because Peter was a Galilean fisherman. Galilean fishermen didn't read or write. Uh, 
that's not what they did. They fished. Uh, today, we're very familiar with nearly everyone being able to read. I'm, I'm sure everyone here, to a greater or lesser extent, can read. And so it's strange to us to think of people who couldn't read. But in Peter's time, many people couldn't read. That's why they had scribes. Scribes were there because they could read and write, and they wrote, read and wrote on behalf of those who couldn't. And here's the thing. Those scholars who say that Peter couldn't write might well be right. They could be accurate in saying that Peter, as a fisherman, couldn't read or write. The reason I say that is because the Bible itself suggests that. Uh, if you look it back in the book of Acts, um, perhaps look it up later, I think it's Acts chapter 2, uh, we read that when Peter and John were preaching in Jerusalem, the people were amazed because they said, these are unlearned men. These are uneducated men. Where did they get these words from as they preached about Jesus and explaining how the Old Testament was fulfilled in him? And they describe them as unlearned men, unwritten men, men who couldn't read or write. And yet they were speaking with such boldness and such confidence and with such eloquence. And again, in this verse here, Peter in all likelihood is saying, I didn't write this letter. I authored it. I'm responsible for it. The content of it came from me. But I had to rely on Silas to write it for me. And we see this in other letters of the Old Testament. Even Paul himself, uh, and several different letters, he describes how uh, other people were the scribes for his words. Uh, I think it's the end of Thessalonians. He describes how at that point, at the end, he writes with his own hand. And his hand, the handwriting changes, if that makes sense. The letter was written by one person, Paul's words, different handwriting. And then Paul himself signs it with his own hand. And Peter's saying the same thing here. He's admitting that he couldn't read or write. And he had to rely on a scribe to write for him. Did you notice what it said uh, after that bit? It says, verse 12, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him. Uh, do you read that and think, that's a strange way of speaking. Why does Peter say it like that? Our faithful brother, as I consider him, as I reckon him, as I suppose him to be. That's what the word means. Uh, why doesn't he just say, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, full stop, or comma, I have written to you. He says, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him. One explanation, probably the best explanation, is Peter's acknowledging, I can't read. I can't personally verify the words that Silas has written, but I trust him as a faithful brother that he has conveyed what I wanted to convey. He has faithfully scribed what I want to share. In other words, Peter is being brutally honest here. Peter is being, you could almost say, needlessly honest. He's admitting that he didn't write, 
but the content came from him. Now that's interesting. And it's interesting for this reason. Why would Peter be so brutally honest here and yet be lying before? Do you see? Earlier in the letter, Peter described how he saw Christ on the mountain of transfiguration. Uh, earlier in the letter, he, saw, he says how he saw with his own eyes Christ glorified by the Father. And if he's being so honest at the end of the letter, why would he say such an outright, outrageous lie at the beginning? The point is, we can trust this author. We can trust Peter as an honest eyewitness. He's not making up fables. He's not making up lies. He's not deluded. He's simply speaking of what he has seen and heard. You can stake your life on the testimony written here. And not just Peter, but James and John and Matthew and Mark and Luke and all the authors of the New Testament as they testify of what they have seen, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, there are some people who say they can't do that. They say, I can't just stake my life on a book, even though all of us do that all the time. Uh, Where do you think the doctors got their knowledge from? Ultimately, it comes from a book. Do you realise that? Uh, The philosophers, uh, all the wise men of this world, all the knowledge we have ultimately comes from books. You have to stake your life, to some extent, in some way or another, on a book. The real question is, are you willing to make the claim? Are you willing to stake your life claiming that Peter and James and John are liars? Because we all have to make a choice. Every single one of us has to make one choice one way or the other. Either Peter is a liar or he's telling the truth. Which one are you going to believe? Whether you're watching online or here in the building. Will you accept what they say, or will you reject it? If you reject it, what reason do you have for thinking he's lying? Because you will have to answer for that one day. You will have to say why you disbelieved what the men chosen by God had to say. You will have to give an account for that. You have to stake your life on something either way. So that's the first thing this letter is. It's a word of testimony from Peter saying, I am writing or I am giving you this message through Silvanus, through Silas the scribe. I'm sharing this message with you and I'm testifying this is true. You can be secure. You can stand fast on it. It's the truth. You do not need to fear that it's a lie. That's only one half of it. The second half is that it's a word of exhortation. He says, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Peter's saying it's not just a word of testimony. It's a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement. Let me ask you again. If you're a Christian here this morning, again, online or in the building, 
Uh, have you ever been tempted to give up? Uh, been tempted to give up on church? Perhaps just give up on following Christ entirely? Uh, perhaps uh, the pressures of the world around you are getting too great? Or the temptations around you and you think it would just be so much easier to go with the flow? Uh, to walk the way everyone else is walking, uh, to do what everyone else says we should do. Uh, It's so hard following Christ. It's like an uphill battle. Uh, And perhaps you're tempted to think, it's just not worth it. I want to give up. Uh, Perhaps you're in church this morning. Perhaps perhaps you have already given up in your heart. You're, You're keeping up the appearances because you don't want other people to badger you and ask you why you're not at church or whatever. But in your heart, you have given up. Uh, And your life outside of church is essentially no different from anyone else. Well, if that's you this morning, then Peter's writing this letter to you. He's writing this letter to exhort you, to encourage you, don't give up. Don't forsake Christ. Do not leave him. There is great reward to be found by clinging on to him. And that's why he's writing this letter to encouraging us, to encourage us and to support us. Uh, if you like, this letter of 1 Peter, and in fact the whole Bible really, but we'll use 1 Peter as an example this morning. This letter of 1 Peter is God's letter of love and support to you. God is sharing through Peter what he wants you to know to stay clinging to him. You will never be able to say to God, you never helped me. You never helped me in my temptations. You never helped me in my hardship. You never helped me when I had to battle through life. Because God will say, I gave you 66 books. I gave you letters and words of encouragement. I gave you First Peter which is a letter explicitly written to encourage you and to help you and to support you as you seek to walk through life. If any of us drift away from Christ, it won't be because God has not provided sufficient support. It'll be because we haven't taken use of the support that God has given to us. But you might say, But this is just an ancient letter. It was written so many years ago. What can it say to me? Me living in the 21st century. Look at all the problems we have in this world. Look at all the hardships and temptations we have. What can Peter have to say to me? What help can Peter, a first century fisherman, have to say to us with all our technology and all our Uh, immorality today. Well, this is why it's significant where Peter was writing from. Peter wasn't writing from some spiritual haven, some Christian utopia where everything was beautiful and wonderful. Where was he writing from? Rome, the centre and pinnacle of human opposition against God. Things were not better in Rome than they are now. Yes, the evil and the immorality may have had different forms, 
in Rome. They didn't have iPhones and laptops and all the technology we have. But the evil was still there. The same evils were manifested in different ways. Um, Nothing is new under the sun. The evils we have to cope with, the temptations we have to cope with, Peter and the believers in Rome had to cope with as well. They're not so very different from us. And so what Peter has to say to us in this letter is every bit as much applicable to us as it was to those he wrote to in the beginning. And in the midst of those temptations, in the midst of the city of Rome, Peter was able to say, keep going. Cling to Christ. It's worth it in the end. Whatever suffering you go through now, it's nothing in comparison to the joy that's to come. Keep hold of him. And in closing, uh, throughout this letter, Peter has had one particular word of encouragement to us. Uh, In every letter, Peter has given the same exhortation again and again. Uh, In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22, Peter says, love one another fervently with a pure heart. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 17, he says, honor all people, love the brotherhood. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8, he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous. And here at the very end of the letter in chapter 4 verse 8, uh, sorry, in uh, chapter 5, Uh, So no, in chapter 4, verse 8, he also says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And then right at the very end of the letter, in chapter 5, he says, She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Do you hear the theme? Again and again and again, Peter says, love one another care for one another. In this hard world of temptation and sin, have love and compassion for each other. Don't give up and help other people not to give up either. Uh, Much ink has been spilt over that verse 14 where it says, greet one another with a kiss of love. And many Christians have wondered, does this mean we all must kiss each other every time we come to church? That misses the point. That's not the central point Peter is saying. What Peter is saying is love one another fervently. Love one another sincerely. Love one another genuinely. Whether with a kiss or without a kiss, that's not the point. The point is we should all have a heartfelt love for one another because the world is evil. Because there are temptations. Because there is hardship. Peter is saying, care for each other. That's the thing I'd like to leave us with in the same way Peter leaves us with. This is his chief word of encouragement. In a dark world, do not forget to care for one another. You might not be struggling, but rest assured someone else is. And Peter is teaching us we need each other. We need each other to stand firm in this dark world. And so he says, greet one another, love one another fervently from a pure heart. That's how this letter is a word word 
of exhortation to us. And with those thoughts, we're to close uh, by singing number... Uh, oh, it's not number. It's in the service sheet. Thank you, Ian uh, and Bethany. Uh, it's on the back of a sheet, our sheet, and it's picking up on that theme of this letter as a word of testimony and a word of encouragement. Uh, the words are, From the breaking of the dawn to the setting of the sun, I will stand on every promise of your word. And verse 2, When I stumble and I sin, condemnation pressing in, I will stand on every promise of your word. So in closing, we'll sing uh, our final hymn, From the Breaking of the Dawn. Thank <laughs> you.